In Jesus' name we have prayed. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you because we are going to encounter you. We are going to encounter your spirit as your word is coming forth. Thank you, Lord. We know that there's a spirit that's going to ride upon that word into our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Each one of us will receive his or own portion. Amen. Healing is for somebody here. Amen. Direction, clarity is for somebody. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Peace, peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding is coming to somebody's situation. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's declare the word of understanding before we settle down quickly. Let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. His word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I said amen. Amen. I said amen. Understanding that's your portion today in Jesus' name. All right, can you just greet somebody on your left, on your right? Tell the person you are wise with the wisdom of heaven. Tell the person you are bearing fruit in every good work. Yes, you are bearing fruit in every good work and you are increasing the knowledge of God. All right, the Lord is good. All right, let's open our Bibles quickly to the book of Luke. We are reading the Sermon on the Mount, but I just want to read the one in Luke because it's much shorter. Matthew is quite extensive from chapter 5 to chapter 7, three long chapters. Of course, we are reading all the things that are inside there. Yes, I want to save some time. So that's why we are going to read from the one in Luke because that's just a few verses. So the book of Luke chapter 6, uh, we are going to look at everything that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount anyway. But let's read um, from this um, verse um, 20 and we'll read all the way to the end of chapter 6. Please make sure you're looking at your Bible. If you didn't come with one, go and sit with somebody that came with one. Verse 20, and turning his gaze towards the disciples, he began to say, now we have explained that what Jesus does or what he used to do was to teach his disciples. His teachings are not for everybody. And that's the mistake we make a lot of times. We want to take the teachings of the Lord Jesus and apply them to every human being. Jesus never said this as a standard for everybody. These teachings were for his disciples. And turning his gaze to what the disciples began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Now, please notice this. This is very important. When we are reading the scriptures, we must get the context right. It's not just blessed are you when people ostracize you. If they ostracize you because of your wickedness, you are not blessed, you are cursed. Are you getting my point? If they ostracize, if they insult you because you're untrustworthy, there's no blessing in it. If they scorn your name as evil because your name is evil, there is no blessing in it. Are you getting my point? But if these things are done for the sake of the Son of Man, then blessed are you. In verse 23, it says, Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. 
For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But I say to you who hear, now let me just pause for a moment so that we'll be able to make some points clear again. Remember, all of these things are in respect to discipleship. That is, when he was saying, woe to you who are rich or who are receiving your comfort, he was specifically referring to those who compromise discipleship to achieve these things. Woe to you who laugh now, who compromise discipleship. And as a result, you get results that are pleasing to the system. I mean, you are a messenger of Christ. You preach what people want to hear. So the offering is good. So at the end of the day, you say it was a good service. He said, woe to you. Are you getting my point here? That is, you laugh now. All right? He said, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you. When you have compromised discipleship. Because this was how they treated false prophets. The prophets were supposed to speak for God. But rather, they spoke things that were pleasing to the people. They spoke things that the people wanted to hear. That was what made them false. That's why he said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Now, that was, in, in, was referring to people compromising discipleship, compromising truth so as to achieve these results. In verse 27, he says, but I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Now, this is in the context of discipleship. He's not saying this is how every human being should behave. They can't. They are not having the power of Christ working with them. He was speaking to believers who are following him that these are the standards that I'm setting for you. He said, whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. Now, please, you must understand. He was talking here in the context of being a disciple. If these things are done to you for the sake of the Son of Man. I hope you are getting my point here. That's what people don't understand sometimes. They think that you say this is how you do your business. No. That is, if somebody wants to cheat you in the office, allow him to cheat you. He wasn't talking about that. He was talking about the context of discipleship. That if these things are done to you for the sake of the Son of Man, then don't worry about it. You are getting what I'm trying to say here, okay? Sometimes, you know, if you don't understand or interpret scriptures, you start wondering what was Jesus talking about. Are you getting my point? You know, want to follow um, Mahatma Gandhi, that he used the principles of Jesus. He did not use the principles of Jesus. He did not. Because you cannot use the principles of Jesus except you are his disciple. It will not work like that. You need the power of Christ to walk in the principles of the Lord Jesus. So if you do not accept him as Christ, Okay, as a savior, as your redeemer, somebody you are supposed to follow, you want to operate his principles, you are just causing spiritual confusion. It doesn't work like that. Now, when you are fighting for your right, you see what Jesus was saying here, his disciples are not allowed to fight and stand for their right that has been taken away from them because they are disciples. You understand? He said that, don't worry, the father will take care of those things. That's what the Lord Jesus was talking about. So he now said to them, now, these are my disciples are supposed to live. Uh, that's how they're supposed to live their lives. Uh, back to verse 29. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. 
Give to anyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Verse 31. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now, what he was saying here is, let me just explain that. Okay, let me read verse 32, then I'll I'll read them. I'll explain 31 to 33 together. If you love those who love you, verse 32, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So I'm talking to you, my disciples. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. He said, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. Now, he now said, but, yes, let me just continue reading. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is, un- is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, that is to your enemies. Now, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Because you see, he was talking about the father being kind to ungrateful and evil men. And before that, he has spoken about people who are going to maltreat you, people who will take away things from you, people who will do evil to you. And Jesus was saying to them, Make sure you treat them as if they were your friends. Treat them, they are your enemies. They know. Not you know, you understand my point. They know. But you have to treat them the way you would treat a friend. Treat them the way you wanted them to treat you, not the way they are treating you. The way you, you know, you're getting the context here. That is, they, they are treating you negatively because you're a disciple of Christ. They are treating you negatively because they don't like you for reasons related to your faith in Christ Jesus. Related to your faith in Christ Jesus. He was now saying, don't respond to them like that. Respond to them as if you are treating a fellow believer. Are you getting my point? If they need something, offer to help them out. Uh, When it comes to prayer time, don't pray negatively for them. He says specifically that you should pray for them. The people that do you good, uh, bad things, you should pray good into their lives. That was what he said. Now, let's just continue reading verse 37 now. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Please notice this. That is, do not pronounce divine judgment on your enemies. People, Jesus was not saying, do not critically appraise the situation. When people don't want you to talk, they say, who are you to judge? That's nonsense. Are you getting my point? It's total rubbish. You know, that, that's what they used to try and silence Christians who are criticizing uh, maybe this gay agenda and all of that. That who are you to judge? Listen to me. I'm not judging if I tell you that what you are doing is wrong. That's not judging. That's telling you the truth. I hope we're getting my point here. That is giving you the mind of God. Because if you are talking about you cannot judge, then how can Paul come and say that I've heard that there's division amongst you? Is that no judgment? Yeah, you probably, you just as I appraise the situation. I heard there's division amongst you. You know, so Alexander the Coppersmith did him much harm. Now, you must understand these things. There's nothing wrong for Christians to critically appraise the situation. People now want to tell you that you can't judge. I can judge if that's what you're saying. Because there's no life, it has no meaning. Don't judge when you want to cross the road whether the car is coming or the car is not coming. The car will judge your body, you will find out later. You, you, no, you have to judge situations in life. You have to judge if the man is trying to defraud you, you have to judge. Obviously, you have to be wise, you understand, as serpents. You have to look at situations in life and know. He said, I will test every spirit. Is that not what he said? That's what he said, test every spirit. That's what people, they want to make just them, when they want to silence you. Uh, nobody made you a judge. Uh, don't judge. Don't judge this one. This one. You know, are you getting my point? Thereby telling you, don't tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> don't tell me the way I'm living my life is wrong because you, you are not a judge. Listen, that's not what Jesus was talking about. 
When it says, do not judge, again, it's in a context. Look at it, you put it together. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. All of it is in one simple context. The context of passing sentence. I hope you're getting my point. This is what he meant when he said, you, uh, do not judge. Hell, my enemies, this year, you will die. That is what the Bible says you must not do. That is why he said, don't judge Otherwise, you will be judged. That means you too, you will die that year because you are somebody else's enemy. I hope you are getting what I'm trying to explain here. That was what Jesus said, don't do. All right? Like somebody said, <laughs> monitor me and you will die. You, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> Nonsense talk that people talk. They get to church, Christians gather in church and judge. And then they are saying that the Bible says, judge not. The Christians are very good at judging. Sitting down there and pronouncing evil on anybody that does not agree with them. That was what Jesus said, do not do. Judgment here is in the context, you know, it's, it's as in opposition to being merciful. You see the last verse, verse 36, before that, it's 36. It said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge. You see the previous verse he was saying, explaining, people are not kind, but the father is kind to them. In the same manner, when people are do, speaking negatively against you, in fact, it's the same thing when he was saying that, bless and do not curse. It's the same thing that he was talking about. So he said, do not condemn. That all of them are in the same line of passing judgment on people and pronouncing negative things over their lives. He said, don't do that. You understand? Many Christians who are praying these days, very common in our country. I don't know about the country that people live in, but this one I live in, very, when they say, want to pray. You understand? This year, anybody that says you will not progress, you will die. That was what Jesus said you should not say. Somebody say you will not progress, say, Lord, have mercy on him. You actually don't want him to die. Why? The Lord does not delight in his death. So that, for that reason, you cooperate with God. He does not delight in the death of a sinner. So it is wrong for Christians to gather, therefore, and be praying. Anybody that says we will not make progress. What is progress? Promotion. Just promotion. That will add 3,000 naira a month to your salary. Then somebody must die for it. God can keep people for it. I'm not saying he won't, but let him make that judgment. Are you getting my point? When it comes to you, you ask for mercy. You ask for mercy. Many of those prayers, let me go over it again. They are prayers of fear. It's because you think somebody can actually hold your destiny. Lie. Your destiny must be very small and weak if a human being can hold it. Your destiny is not in Christ if a human being can hold it. My destiny is in Christ, so I will not pray. If you tell me you are sitting on, your dest- on my destiny, I will tell you you are too small. I won't pray about you because I know you are lying. It's like you come home, you see one five-year-old boy. He say, Daddy, right now I'm sitting on a, a, a 20-foot python. And I tell you, you can't move. <laughs> you know you are going to laugh. So, did your auntie buy you a toy? It has to be a toy. You are getting what I'm going to explain here. Like somebody said, <laughs> I don't know whether you saw a picture, somebody said around the other day, they showed a man who tied the rope to a trailer, to a truck, a big truck. All right? Articulated vehicle. So he tied the rope to his bicycle, and he wanted to, the, thing, the truck was stuck in mud. So they tied to the bicycle, he wanted to move the truck. Somebody said, this was why federal government banned coding. Are you getting my point? <laughs> <laughs> that way people started behaving like this. The government had to ban something. <laughs> now, that's how, that's how unreasonable it is when they tell you that the Christian's destiny, a witch put it in a pot and sat on it. If you told me that, I would laugh. I said, that witch must be really, really fat. As fat as Jupiter. Spiritually now. Because I don't know which which witch you want to sit on my destiny. Which which witch? Which witch do you want to use? Who is your babalao? Like we said the other day, the most powerful Babala we have read about in the scriptures is Balaam. And when he saw the destiny of Israel, he said, don't touch it. He opened his mouth and confessed. See, the destiny of these people, Balak, leave it alone. There's nothing. By that time, he had sacrificed seven bulls 
and seven goats. Fourteen animals were dead. They moved, did another fourteen. At the end of the day, they said, look, Balak, come, come. Balak, let's forget this thing. These people, it doesn't work. So I don't know which witch you, you, you have in your village that wants to now sit on my... Israel's destiny was not in Christ, though. Mine is in Christ. Is someone, please forget all these your fearful prayers. You are afraid. You are afraid. If you had confidence, you wouldn't pray that prayer. If you had confidence, you wouldn't pray it. It's fear. This, that's how it doesn't work. You've been praying it for 20 years. Have they left you alone? You are still waking up every 2 a.m. to fight those who are fighting you. It, it, that's proof that they, you have lost. Because they are sleeping. You are the one that's awake. Like I always say, when people tell you that um, you are sleeping, your enemies are not sleeping. I said, that's proof that I'm on the righteous side. They're on the wicked side. Those who are on the righteous side, they sleep. It's the word of God. In peace, I lie down and sleep. For the Lord makes me dwell in safety. If you are waking up at night to pray against your enemies, you're a sinner. You will soon die. You're not going to live long like that. They are going to they will enjoy you. <laughs> because you have no peace. You have no, you, know, you have no faith. Fear is ruling your life. Go and sleep. They can't do anything to you. The Lord is good. I wasn't. How do we keep on dropping things like this once in a while? Anyway, I explain the scriptures. So don't disobey Jesus because of your fear. When he says, do not judge. If they tell your auntie is a witch, have mercy on her because if she dies, she'll go to hell. Do you want her to go to hell? No, you shouldn't want that. You shouldn't want that. You say, hey, have you heard? They said the auntie is a witch. Will not declare one whole day's fasting and prayer. What is it about? He said to save auntie from dying and going to hell. Father, we dewitch her in the name of Jesus. Next time she flies, let her wing, let it jump Nepal pole, fry her wings so that she will fall down there and give her life to Christ. Then on Christmas, they carry gifts and go and give her. It's called the dewitching gift. Take your money. Say, until it's Christmas. I know God has blessed me in any good day. All have blessed me in Lagos. God has blessed me. So I said to bring you some rough 25k roll on for your hand and this is your portion. If she spends that money, she can't fly again. <laughs> Assuming she was a widow. You know, most likely she's not. It's your prophet that is confused. You know that. No, it's your prophet that is a, that is a witch. Your prophet is confused. Apostle, I think the Lord wants us to talk about this because he thinks can't leave me. I will say it again. No, it's true. Any prophet that's pointing to you who's the witch in your life is a liar. He doesn't know anything. He's a false prophet. He is false. He is false. He is false. He's turning your heart against that of your relatives unnecessarily. Anybody who you go for prayer and then when he finishes praying, he has to identify who's the cause is a liar. Is a lying prophet. If he prays in the name of Jesus, he's lying. He doesn't believe in that Jesus. Oh, another thing, he's powerless. He is powerless. He is powerless. She's have joined also. Many of them are prophetesses. She's powerless. All those their visions are lying visions. Every single one of them lying visions. Those are people that be, they belong. In shrines. They're not they are doing in church. If you went to a shrine to see them, I wouldn't comment on them. It's none of my business. But if you decide to pray and use the name of Jesus to pray, and first after prayer, as I was praying, I began to see your auntie. Tell the person you are a liar. Get up and walk out. 
they have no other business. How come everybody's auntie is a problem? When will you know that these people are liars? Anyway, look, don't disturb my soul. You are the one that wants to be deceived. In case you don't know, your auntie is going to her own prophet. Oh, did I tell you a story? One story I read the other time. He was flying around in the social media about the young man. Oh, I, I think I should tell you this story again. About the young man, he wrote it. I put it on Facebook or something. Whose um, family was scattered because the father had financial problems. The sister took ill, died. You know, something, and, 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 and those two things happened. They had family problems financially. Then the sister took ill and died. And then the father went to one church. And then in one, all right, the father was told that the wife is a witch. The mother was told, the one that the mother went to, the mother was told that the father is in a cult and that um, he sacrificed his daughter to service his prosperity. You hear the story? Hey, listen, and I want people, stop following false prophets. They will scatter your life. They, that is, those people, when God will deal with them, I feel sorry. Because Jesus said it himself, the Bible says that God hates those who separate brethren. Father went to one church. Mother went to one church. Both of them Christian churches. Where the man went, they said his wife is a witch. Where the woman went, they said the husband is in a cult. Better go and tell your mother to stop going to places. She just come home, marry your father like a good wife. And the problems in your family will disappear. And I've told you who are believers, if they call for deliverance, you follow them. You will get migraine. It will leave you. No, I'm not joking. No, it will not leave you. It's an evil spirit that jumped on the one side of your head and sat there. You went to where they are doing those deliverances. All they can do is de- de- donate demonic spirits. They can never set you free. If you want freedom, freedom is in Christ Jesus. You shall know the truth. And the truth that you have come to know and that you are walking by will set you free. Nobody can pray you into freedom. The psalm is quoting scriptures for you that the yoke is broken by the anointing. Do you have that anointing that breaks yoke? You don't have it. What the Bible actually says is that your yoke is destroyed by fatness. When spiritual weight comes into your system, whatever yoke of the enemy that's upon you is broken when your neck grows fat. You can't be lean spiritually and breaking anointing, breaking, uh, praying anointing, breaking prayers. It does not work. Spiritual weight is dependent upon the knowledge of truth. There is nobody that's praying deliverance prayer that's going to get free. All they get from there is bondage. You were sleeping in peace until you went for deliverance prayer, were you not? Then suddenly 2 a.m. every day you have to wake up. You have set alarm. You have never woken up to give thanks. You have never woken up to study the scriptures. You have never woken up to pray serious prayers. You are now waking up at 2 a.m. to be modulating evil spirits. Are you a choir director in the coven? <laughs> Nonsense. You have given the kind of offerings you can't afford. You are looking for freedom. Have you found it? When, when, when will common sense even talk to you? When? When? You don't know you're a customer. You know what I mean? You are only as valuable as the amount of money you bring. And they will tell you things to, so that you keep on bringing the money. That's why you start hearing foolish things like, if your enemy sacrifices a goat, you will sacrifice a cow. And the guy preaching it, of course, is a priest that will collect it. Have you noticed that when Jesus wanted offerings? No, go and see. When the Lord Jesus will say, we'll give something up, he said, go and give to the poor so that you know that he's not looking for your money. Sell what you have, give to the poor. 
But no, no. The pastor said if you are in bondage, maybe because your parents promised some things to the shrine. They didn't take it there because they became Christians. So the, the, the gods, the spirits are now pursuing you for their offering. One of my sisters, a member of the church, he called me after service. He said, Pastor, what is going on? I said, what? He said, look at what my pastor said today. He said, your pastor must be high on drugs. That the problems in your life because those spirits are now pursuing you, looking for the promise that your parents made when you were born. Okay, so what is the solution? The solution now is that you will now bring the, this, you know, oh God, the love of money, eh? root of all kinds of bad doctrine. That you will now bring the offering to the church. So are you the broker for the shrine? You just told us now that the shrine is looking for his money. I don't know whether you are getting my point. The shrine is looking for the thing that my parents pledged. That's why I have problems. That I will now take the thing that they placed and come and give it to you. Are you in the same company? Even if what you were saying was true, how is it your business? If you're a true preacher, you have one or two things to tell me. I had to tell me to go and pay my debts. So I go and look for the shrine. I go and look for Amadiaha. Say, CEO, before I gave my life to Christ, this was what I was owing you to take. Or you tell me, I have been delivered in Christ Jesus. But this one that you will not collect on, the, on behalf of the gods. Honestly, if you preach that in my presence, I will not come back to that church until they transfer you. I won't step in. I will not step in. Because obviously, you have gotten into what the Bible calls the madness of the prophet. This is madness. But you see Christians next Sunday, they go there again. This is the house of God. God does not live in any building. Hi! People are doing their business. You, you don't know they are looking for clients. And you keep going. Always ends in the, in the same thing. A sacrifice. You will not give a dangerous sacrifice. Why? If your enemy sacrifices a goat, you will sacrifice a cow. If they tell you that, say, excuse me, sir. I was told that if my enemy sacrifices a cow or elephant, it makes no difference. Jesus has been sacrificed on my behalf. Nothing is bigger or better than Jesus Christ. So why can't I just give thanks and be delivered? This one, you have now become Babalao. You are now a priest, an Ifa priest, because you want to collect sacrifices from my hands. You know, it amazes me that those churches will open on Sunday and they will be full. All we like sheep. Just sheep, sheep, meh, everybody. Human means love bondage. Oh, no, they love it. They love it. Anyway, like I always say, the problem with truth is that he has his own demands. I hope, are you getting my point? Yes, yeah, that's the problem. When you tell somebody, walk before me and be perfect, that's what God says. That one is difficult. That's when you go and meet Pastor Okemude, who tell you, when you tell you, you need deliverance prayer. It's all right. <laughs> you know, he has a standard prescription for deliverance. In, in case he has given it to you, it's not just you, it's everybody. Say, this is your prayer, we'll pray it in six months. For the next six months, I want to see you twice a week here. You will come and study the word and pray with us on Tuesdays and come and study the word on Saturdays. After six months, we will pray. Anyway, if you are here and he told you that, he told you only last month. Because nobody lasts six months. They don't last six months. We ask you, what about Don't come out, don't say me again. Because that's what happened. The price of true deliverance, nobody wants to pay it. But if he says, find 200,000 naira. I'm going to gather those men that sit in front. He doesn't know them. We just, I'm going to gather those men that sit in front. I'm going to take your mother to Udi Hills. That closer to heaven. The 200,000 is not for, you know, it's not, it's not offering. No, it's just, it's to break the fast. It's always like that. It's for breaking of fast. No, we are men of God. We don't collect anything. 
is free. It's just that when we gathered all those men in front, and they're going to fast so every day, and the fast has to be broken gently. It's a banana. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what your 200,000 is for. Know the truth? If you tell 50 people that, 49 will bring that money. I'm not joking. 49 will find it. They will find the money. They will find the money. And of course, let me be honest with you. The truth is this. Nobody is praying for you. As you drop that 200,000 there, we'll accredited for like 20 other people. 200,000 and 20, how much is that? 4 million. Ah, foundation. What are you talking about? <laughs> we'll complete our foundation. The one somebody told my wife, when, I, when my wife told me, I couldn't believe it. I said, did they give the man the money? He said, they did. How can? This one, the man said, they say, man of God, he will pray. Man, how much is this? Is it 1.5 million for prayer? I said, we don't have that kind of money. He said, what kind of man of God do you think I am? They began to negotiate on the phone. Finally, they came down to, is it 800,000? So, yeah, where did they stop? 600,000. They negotiated the price of the prayer to 600K. I was waiting to hear I hung up on him. No. They transferred the money. So my wife said, waiting up after. Nothing. There was no return phone call. There was no forwarding phone. There was nothing. That was the end of the transaction. How else do you define 419? I have no problem with the men who are doing it. Though. It's those who are patronizing them. They are muguns, yes. Who are paying. They are the ones I can't understand. If a man told you to wire him 1.5 million for prayer, was that not the time you should have hung up the phone? Say, sir, I'll call this line. I can't hear you clearly. Hello, hello, hello. Are you still there? You call the line. You call the line. The man you did not say, say, he'll be praying for you. But you send money first. And you sent the money. God will handle that one by himself. But you, you have a serious problem. Listen, Jesus said something. You know Jesus is our Lord? Are you getting my point? He's the Son of God. Yet he opened his mouth and told his disciples, told Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, all of them, and said, I want to tell you something. If you ask the Father in my name, the Father himself loves you. I am not even telling you I will talk to the Father for you. It's no longer necessary. Do you know that's what Jesus said? That me talking to the Father for you is not necessary. Peter, if you ask the Father directly, he will hear you as if I was the one that asked him. That was what Jesus gave to his disciples. So why do I need a man of God to pray a prayer that Jesus said even he himself won't bother praying? Because if I offered it myself, God will hear me directly. Listen, saints of God, there is no prayer that God will hear about you that he will not hear from your mouth if you will kneel down yourself and pray in sincerity. You know what you need preachers for? It's the kind of thing I'm doing. He said, they came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. That's the job of preachers. I am not an intermediary between anybody and God. I want to live longer. If you give me that job, I won't take it. Say, Pastor, be praying for me. Mm. Of all the problems in life, now you're not serious. 
If you want prayer, let's join hands together and pray there. Don't give me prayer point. I'll be thinking of you every day. I'm not your husband. Today, once I was in church. <laughs> they said I should raise money. Not wrong, not wrong with raising myself. I beg, brethren, if you want to give for money in this ministry, take this piece of paper, feel how much you will give to the church every month. And they, on that narrow, write your prayer request. I told all of them, I said, cancel that in a lie. Whoever printed that is deceiving you. This paper is for collecting offering. Everybody's here laughing. I said, is it truth? When we want to collect offering, we collect offering. When we want to do prayer, we do prayer. Let's not bother joining the two. Those are because you have given now. You now have a right to write prayer requests. Nonsense. Giving does not give you the right to write prayer requests. If I'm the one you are giving money to, don't put prayer requests on the envelope. I'll return your money. Say, Pastor, God bless you, sir. You put envelope, money in the envelope. You now put prayer requests on it. If I see it, I return it back to you. No be contract. Take. Give me a job. That's payment, Abby. If you want us to pray, let's join hands. I hope you're getting my point. Let's join hands. You say, Pastor Banker, you don't say you don't pray for us. I do, but let me tell you how I do it. I pray for everybody that pays attention to the words I speak. Go and read. That's how Jesus said it too. So my duty is to pray that God will give you understanding. Listen, this is what I'm done to explain to you. So let me lay the emphasis where I'm supposed to lay it. God listens to you. He doesn't listen to me more than he listens to you. That is the point I'm making. That is the point I'm making. Don't depend on my prayer. Depend on God directly. Get on your knees at the corner of your bed and talk to him. He listens. No matter how difficult the situation is, he listens. One of the biggest testimonies I've heard in that area is that of uh, Dodie Austin. At the age of 40, she was diagnosed as having terminal cancer of the liver. Cancer of the liver is incurable as of today. No treatment. A friend of mine the other day called me. He said, Banky. I said, what's up? He said, my mother, I just diagnosed that she has cancer of the liver. I said, what? He said, sad. Anyway, make a long story short. After a while, he said, my sister said I should send her to her abroad. So, so I'm sending her to my sister. Lives in the U.S. Another day, he calls me. He said, hey, Banky. I said, what's up? He said, my mother has died. Now, listen to this. He said, at least... She lived longer than all my patients. He's a specialist in liver disease. He said, she lived longer than all my patients. He said, I pulled my sister's ear and said, no treatment for her, please. He said, all my other patients will gather money and go to India. I said, they are all dead. He said, they all died long before my mother did. He said, because I understood. He said, they died from the treatment. He said, yeah, that's what happened. Oh, that's what happened. Because there is no treatment. I told you, this is a specialist in that area who warned the sister, said, please, don't let any doctor play with her. Just she will progress slowly. Let her die in peace. And she lived longer than all his patients who had money, who would not listen to his counsel. All of them took up to India, different parts of the world, for treatment. They all came back and died because the treatment overloads the system. 
Though the Austin was that sick. The husband was a preacher. All the disappeared from his mouth. All those tongues he used to speak when he's praying in church, he couldn't speak it. He laid on the floor there and begged God. He said, God, please, don't let my wife die. And I read this testimony when she turned 84. Did you hear what I said? The testimony was shared when she turned 84. At the age of 48, she was given a death sentence. 84 years later, the testimony was shared. Because she did not die. God answers prayers. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. Don't let them take faith away from you and put in themselves. That's the annoying part. That's the annoying part. They not take it from God and put it in themselves. If you can see the man of God, he will pray. Let me just tell you, you don't have to see him. You can pray in your house. God answers prayers. He does. No matter how difficult the situation is, just look, don't, like I said, don't, don't, just do like you're talking to a merciful father. Don't promise him any nonsense. Do you know what I said? Don't promise him any rubbish. This one that people have taught us that when you want to pray to God, you go with something in your hand is a sin. It's the reason why he does not listen to people. That's the reason why he doesn't listen. The Lord, this is my seed. Because you go and plant it. When it germinates, collect your answer. People can't pray until they have collected salary. Because they have to see something to give God. And God is tired of it. He's just tired. Tired. When they want to start praying, he closes the window. Deploys two angels to be answering them. Because they can't come with simple faith. And just say to him, Lord, I know you love me. Look at this situation. Where else will I go apart from to you? I'm tired of spending money on medicine. I'm tired of looking for one doctor or another. I'm tired of being afraid. Just kneel down by yourself alone. Don't tell anybody. Just let let anybody have, have gone out. Just stay there. And ask in faith. Knowing that you're not just praying. You're talking to somebody. Somebody you expect to listen. Somebody you expect to answer. And if your heart says, what will I do for him that I may do for me? Good. Say, Lord, I have come to let you know I can't do anything for you. I have just come in the name of Jesus. The only thing I can say is that, Lord, you will be my God. There is no other God. You are my father. I like Nathan Ebersen, that, that song, I have no other God but you. Play that song again and again and in prayer. Play morning till night. So that God will know that that is why you are here. Say, Lord, I want you to listen to something. I don't know how to sing, so I brought one brother to sing for me. <laughs> Put him on on your phone. As he's singing, be saying, Amen. Say, Lord, I, I, this is what I'm saying. Just I don't know how to sing, so. Let the thing be playing. Be singing along. Sing with Nathanabasi from morning till evening. Say, Lord, this is, this is why I have come. I have no other God. No other help. If you don't help me, where will I get help from? I'm not saying I deserve help. I'm just saying Jesus said I should come. I come in the power of the name of Jesus. I have never given any offering. Anyone I give, let's not talk about it. 
I'm not promising what I will do for you after you have done this for me. The only thing I can promise is that I will say thank you. And if people ask me, where did you get this? I will mention your name. That's all I can promise. It's not, God, when you give me a million, I'm going to give you half a million. God said, what? I already have the million. Why share it? <laughs> no, think about it. <laughs> people talk nonsense and say, God gives me a million, I give him half of it. God said, all right. I already have the whole thing. So I'm not planning to, no point sharing it. No point sharing it. That's what funny doctrines that we have, go, we have imbibed in Christianity. Soaked our minds with it, with them, and then those things have removed faith from us. They have weakened our faith. When we want to pray, we feel so incomplete. And the way we now feel complete is false confidence. Pure false confidence. Maybe you go to church on Sunday, you have given a dangerous seed as far as you are concerned. You've given to God something that costs you something. You now kneel down. And you're actually expecting to answer. You don't know that he's angry. Say, all oh, your righteousness is like filthy rags in my sight. I don't want to talk to you. Your breath smells. Get up and get out before I injure you. Yes, people like you, when they enter into the temple, I injure them. They are dirty. They are filthy. Say, God, say, look at how I'm helping orphans. You will help my children. God say, eh, all right. You wake up, one of your children will start convulsing. That one will catch pneumonia. And like, God, what is going on? He said, we are doing, we are doing book balancing, Abby. This is, this is what you deserve if I were to go by what you have done. Quickly, you will learn and say, Lord, I'm sorry. As for helping orphan children because they were hungry, that's not why you will help my children. You will help my children because you love me and you are my father. Well, who will help my children if it's not you? <laughs> you say, check out. Where else will we go? Because say, fine. Heal all of them. Bless all of them. Prosper all of them. Because you have no other claim apart from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when we preachers and preach the opposite, we have undermined the faith of the church. Christians can't pray effective prayers. Their faith has been undermined. They either come without confidence or they come with false confidence. That's the problem. Faithless people pray morning after and night so God can't hear it. Why? The basis is wrong. And when things don't work, next thing we'll look for somebody else to blame. Enemies are blocking your prayer. Tonight, our war is against the enemies that are blocking prayers. And the evil spirits, no evil spirits, they like it. There are some pastors that their closest associates are evil spirits. Not a joke. Spirits that people are mortar. Giving them false word of knowledge. After a while, they start seeing false visions. When you wanted to come out of your house yesterday, a woman greeted you by the roadside. Yes. She was wearing a black blouse and green trousers. Yes, man of God. Is this true? Haha. <laughs> She's an agent. Okay. Now you have identified the agency, right? <laughs> no, next question. What am I supposed to do? You don't know some people. <laughs> you know, I was analyzing my wife the other day. When you see human mis- misbehaving, behaving strange, in Nigeria of today, they are listening to prophets. When you see odd behavior, a man told me once, he said, sir, I don't know what I did. My wife just packed and left the house. He told me, he said, what is killing me is I don't know what's happened. We didn't quarrel. She did not accuse me of anything. I went to her father and said, your daughter packed away from the house. He said, it's her decision. 
a man you paid bride price to told you it's her decision. When he told me, I said, that's what happens when people listen to false prophets. There is no other explanation. I said, look, those people, are you sure they don't go to prayer houses? We call them prayer houses. Let's use the proper word, false prophets. I said, are you sure they don't go to false prophets? They must. I said, that is the only explanation why a woman would just pack her bag and walk out on her husband and did not look back. And you go to her father. And he says, hey, you see, it's her decision. Say, so prophet has prophesied to them that she will die. And believe me, if it was you too, and you believed it, you would take your daughter. It's not about righteousness now. It's about understanding. Because if you believed it too, you would do the same thing. When you see adults misbehaving, where are you now? You can't know where I am. Just don't argue. Just go away. She's not mental. Look, the person has listened. First, they've told her, look, listen. Anything wants to go, don't tell anybody. If you tell her, they will block your progress. Like I always say, if you can, block it. If my progress does not grind you to powder, then you are not blocking it. Because if God gives me progress, will turn you to powder if you stop, stay on the way. And people are praying, it's fear that is pushing them up and down. All these die by fire, die by fire prayers. Prayers of fear. My enemies will die this year so I can make progress next year. If your God was powerful enough, let him bring progress while they are alive. And the God I serve doesn't care. If I like them to watch, let them watch. There's what is called the demonstration of his righteousness. He likes to demonstrate. He judges and punishes people when their time is ripe, when they are due. It's not because without their death, you know, he can't help his children. I'm misquoting scriptures recklessly. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This year, your King Uzziah will die. Okay, he's dead. What did you see? Nothing. They don't even know the meaning of seeing the Lord. Just carry scripture, mangle it, twist it upside down. Disobeying the words of Jesus, looking for deliverance. Back to our very, you know, all of this started from George Not. Let's go back. <laughs> the Lord is good. I want you to stop going to prayer houses. Oh. Grab your Bible, read your Bible. Pray to the Lord by yourself. Are you getting my point? Leave your enemies alone. You don't need that. Look, that's not, you don't need that. What you need is constant repentance, purifying your way, improving in the things of righteousness. That's what you need. He said, when the ways of a man pleases the Lord, makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Your enemies, so-called, are only as strong as your relationship with your God is weak. Don't ever forget that. So Jesus said, do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure. Pressed down, shaking together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. In verse 39, he says, now we look at what that 38 says later. Now Jesus here was not speaking specifically about money. That's my understanding, even though it can be applied. 
he was talking about dedication because here, if you see, when it says give, it's not just random giving. He was talking about how you treat your enemies. Are you getting my point? So what do you, you see later? He said, the attempt attention you give to these things I'm teaching you. You can read that from the book of Mark chapter 4. All right, in verse 24, he explained it. Is the give was talking about was dedication to the word, his truth. Now, verse 39. And he also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a, guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil, he says, is not above his teacher. But everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What the Lord Jesus was saying here is simple. My disciples, be more focused on cleansing your own heart. Don't go around bothering and meddling other people's business. Don't make worry your primary concern when in your office you are not even a good worker. I hope you are getting my point. And that's what he's saying. That you, Look, people focus on yourself first. Verse 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of that as in his heart brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Again, he was emphasizing to his disciples, pay attention to your heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that, against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. That is built on a solid foundation. Verse 49, but the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly, that is, he heard my words, did not put them into practice, pretending to be my disciple, but not really acting like that. He said, that fellow is like a man who builds a house on the ground without any foundation. And a torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Like I said at the beginning, I read all of this from verse 20 to verse 49, about 30 verses, yes, about 30 verses, uh, just to take a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. If you go to Matthew Matthew takes the whole of chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And that also we should read individually. And I will refer to the things that are in there. I just feel like taking this one because it's smaller. Just take it as a summary. Now, remember what I've been saying. Of course, for some time we've been talking about the culture of faith. And last time I began to talk about the culture of disciples. Just like a small subtitle inside the series. And what we are saying here is this. That when Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth. Our faith is not something that is in our heart alone. It starts from there, but it produces works outwardly. And these are the things that the Lord sat down and taught his disciples. He wasn't joking about them. They were not standards set so high that people could not attain. 
There were standards he set and he expected every single one of his disciples to go for those standards. I hope you're getting my point here. Now, he understands, and that's a matter of fact. He said he's mindful that we are both flesh. David was saying, what he was saying by that is that he understands that you will not attain it in one day, but it must be your goal. He understands that you will not attain it in one year, but it must be your goal. You are getting my point here. That is, you will notice when somebody does you evil, he's the last person you want to pray for. When somebody, maybe you're in an office, you have a boss, he doesn't treat you well. He's not the person you want to do good to. He's the kind of person that will pass. He says, good morning, sir. Behind his back. Are you getting my point? You want to do, that, that is natural. That is very, very natural. Are you getting my point? But you see, when you are a disciple of Christ, you must understand something. Discipleship, you see something that Jesus said here. Let me just read that quickly. He said that a disciple is not greater than his master. He said that's verse 40. A disciple or a pupil, depending on the version you are using, is not above his teacher. But everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be what? Like his teacher. So you see, Jesus was saying that he understood, or he understands, that there are stages in development. It's a matter of training. But what you set in front of you is what matters. Like I was saying, so you see a situation in which you respond like a natural person to people who don't like you. You respond like a natural person to people who are doing you evil. I'm not saying it's good, but we understand for a moment. But you know what you do? You set the standard in front of you, and you look at it constantly. This is not what Jesus expects of me. Jesus expects me to behave in such a manner that if I saw a man in the office who's been so nice to me, helps me with my promotion, puts things together for me, and I see the other person who does everything negatively against me. Now, if somebody hears the story that there are two people in my office, one treats me right, the other treats me wrong, if he or she were to follow me to that same office, and he sees me relate with people, he will not be able to identify who treats me right and who treats me wrong because of the way I respond. Because I treat everybody as if they were my friends. I give to any one of them that asks of me. Do you get my point? So the fellow will answer, who is that fellow that says your enemy? If I now point, that, point out that, oh, is that other man? He say, what? But you have been as good to him the last two days I've been with you as to the other man who you said has been very good to you. And he said to the fellow, that is what Jesus expects of me. I hope you're getting my point. That is what a disciple fully trained becomes. Now, before you get to that point, look, the other day my wife and I were talking. I said, one of the things you do as a believer in Christ Jesus is to learn to approve the things that are excellent. Paul talked about that. It's so important. You know, let me just say something quickly. The problem we have a lot of times as believers or as human beings is that we don't know where to put our effort. That's the problem we have a lot of times as human beings. We don't know exactly where to put our effort. What I'm trying to say is this. If you see something good happening, or how do I say now? Okay. So I hear the word of God that tells me, do this, all right? And I know it's difficult. Tells me, treat my enemies like this. Treat those who don't like you like this. Be good to those who are doing you negatively, all right? Now, I hear it. Of course, when I leave, the reflex is that I want to try and do it. But you know, the flesh can be very strong. Are you getting my point? You will have done the opposite before <laughs> you realize it. Now, one of the problems we have as believers is that we don't know how to control things. What I mean is this. You know what God actually expects from his disciples? First, before you go out hmm, to try and do it, first, you recognize it is difficult. But most importantly, recognize that it is the best thing to do. Now, how do you recognize it? Just because Jesus said so. I don't know whether you're getting my point. First, you have to be fully convinced. And then you teach your mouth, do you understand, to agree. 
Because what we do a lot of times is they say, hmm, that man try you. Me, I can never take that nonsense. Now, once you say that, are you getting my point? You have taught your body never to obey what Jesus said. Even though your mind tells you you want to obey it. But one day you will see somebody do that which Jesus said we should do. And then your body will say that, why is this so stupid? I, I don't know whether you're getting my point. Your body will say, if I were the one, I will not, I won't even agree. Thank God for you. Me, I can never agree. That is where we lose the ability to obey. You know what Jesus said we should do? If you see a man that they slapped on the right cheek and he turned the left, you will go home and talk about it with your wife. Say, oh girl, I saw one man today. Very humble man. They slapped him on the right cheek. I thought he was going to slap back. The man turned nicely and gave the left. Hey. Was that not what Jesus said we should do? Now, wow. Hey, in Jesus' name, shall one day we'll reach there. Are you getting my point? Please read my book again. If you haven't read it before, read it now, please. That's great faith can be yours. I describe it in that book. It's what you set in front of you that matters. A lot of us, we set negative things in front of us, but want to read our Bibles and obey what Jesus said. And it doesn't work. Please bear this in mind. That is, I'm saying this, that Jesus sets standards for his disciples. Those, those standards are very high. Uh, listen to me. They are high. Those are very, very high standards. Like I said last time. Now, before I go back to what I said last time, don't ever forget. He expects every single one of us to match what he has set down. He doesn't want us to explain them away. Are you getting my point? He wants, you see, when he talked about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what it means is that he wants us to hunger and thirst for those things. Later on, we'll give us an example. No, I, I, I'll come back to it later. How do we prepare for our future? We have used this example before. People will sit down and say, okay, this is how you do for your financial future. Settle down. Every time you make money, put down 20%. After you've gathered a certain amount of money, invest this amount in the stock market, invest in, some, in this one in something that brings um, passive income, and they arrange all of those things, you understand? And they say, if you do like that, if I remember once, one man of God was preaching. I know when you've not heard some kinds of things before, first time you hear them, you'd be impressed. He said, look, that they, one, somebody told him that if he puts, um, if his father had put, um, is it $50 down in the stock market every month, was it every week, for the last, uh, maybe is it 20 years, by now, just $50 every week, by now he'll be a millionaire. So the man said, you mean your father, my father could have made me a millionaire? He said, wow. He said, well, how come not everybody's doing this? And they said, not everybody can wait. So we began to talk, to talk about the power of waiting. How you can invest money in the stock market for 30 years, just, you know, just 1,000 a week, and at the end of 20 years, you'll be a millionaire. You know, stuff like that. Now, first time I heard those things, very, very impressive, okay? Except there was one thing. It's not the way of the disciple of Jesus. The Lord Jesus did not preach that to his disciples. In fact, you know what he said to them specifically? He said, don't worry about whether you'll be a millionaire tomorrow or not. You know what he actually said? Don't take thought. People say, it means don't worry. But you see, there's a reason why I believe the Bible uses the word, take no thought. What it means is, don't occupy your mind. It's not about, I'm not worried, I'm just planning. He said, don't be occupied. <laughs> Are you getting my point? Don't be occupied with the plan. Now, let me, say something, let me say something to you. The things that Jesus demands of his disciples, they are radical. Brother of mine, the other day, wrote an article. Where's your 10-year plan? That Christians don't have 10-year plan. I felt like I answered that I was not in the argument mood. That Jesus said, don't worry about 10-year plans. That, do you know, that's what he said. Now, the normal flesh will think that this is hard. 
But it said, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. What it means is this. If you see it as a standard of the Lord Jesus, you will wake up every day training your heart to believe it and walk by it. Eventually, you will find out how to walk by it in such a manner that it is pleasing to the Lord Jesus. And his standard that he has set for your life, that you are fulfilling it. Many of the things we walk by, listen to me, the world has hardly seen Christians. That's not a joke. There are very few Christians that the world has seen. Very, very few. Most of us are concerned with salvation and going to heaven. That was not the primary concern of Jesus. The primary concern that Jesus was giving us here is that while on the earth, he will tell you, by this shall all men know. He wants all men to know. I don't know whether you are getting my point here. He wants all men to know. He said, let your light so shine that men will see your good work. He was not, Jesus was not concerned about who is going to heaven, who is not going to heaven. To him, if you are my disciple indeed, heaven is sure. Heaven is sure. But earth, I is earth affected by you. Like I said last time, when he said that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Do you understand? What he was saying is not just now you're a Christian, you are the salt of the earth. What he was saying is that, listen, if you are a Christian, your life will be so different. Listen to this. Your standards will be different. Your standards of living will be different. That is, the kind of things that matter to you. When people are sitting down and making those their plans for the future... People will know that that guy is not joining us. They say, you know he's a Christian. They don't worry about tomorrow. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You know, before, we used to wonder, why won't God just put plenty of Christians in political office? Should I give his answer now? I'm understanding it. <laughs> they don't know what it means to be Christians yet. That's why I won't bother. If they understood what it meant, I will put more of them there. Let me just leave it like that. That in their everyday lives, they still don't fully understand what it means to be a disciple. Let me say something again about Christianity. Who is a Christian is not the fellow who has answered an altar call. Ah, let me take a minute and say it again. Who is a believer? Believer is not the person that answered an altar call. No. There are two things that define believing. Two things. One of them is repentance. If you are not repenting, you are not a believer. Number two, which is what I'm talking about. Number two thing that tells you you're a Christian is that you're a disciple. If you are not a, who's a disciple? It is simple. It's one who takes the word of God and makes himself, herself, a student thereof, working daily to conform his life to the standards set therein. It doesn't mean the fellow is perfect. It is just that, like Jesus said, a disciple, when he's fully trained, that is, the fellow is in training. If he went to church, gave his life to Christ, and went back and is living normally like an unbeliever, the fellow is not a believer. So let's not get back into this argument of once saved, am I always saved or not always saved? All I know is that right now, you are not a believer. If you are not an active disciple. Oh, most certainly, you are not. And let me say something to you. Jesus, when he comes back, and that's the law of God through the scriptures. He never checks what you used to be. What does he check? What you were or what you are when it comes. Blessed is the servant whose master finds so doing. Ezekiel said if a man was walking righteously and he stopped walking righteously, let me summarize, when the master returns, all the righteousness he was doing before will be forgotten. 
So please, this argument of once saved, always saved, there are discussions we should not get involved in. There are discussions we should not get involved in. What God has commanded is that this world, please listen to this, this earth must experience the presence of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. He set a totally different set of standards for them. And it means them practically. Everything he said in there. Like the one we talked about last time, when he said, blessed are the poor. We read it from Luke now. He used the word poor. Matthew used the word poor in spirit. There's something I kept on explaining. Bear in mind, he was speaking in context of discipleship. That is, Jesus is saying, I did not send you out to go and get results. It looks like I'm a disciple, I'm an apostle of, um, don't follow results. Are you getting my point? Jesus said, I did not get, send you out to go and get results. I gave a million, I got a hundred million. That's not what we're talking about. He said, being a disciple for some people will result in poverty. I don't know what I hear what I said. And he said, if it is for my sake, then you are blessed. If you are poor because of laziness, you are not blessed. You are walking under a curse. I hope you are getting what I am saying. If you are poor because of irresponsibility, you are not going to be responsible. To earn 10000 and spend 15000 Perpetually broke. Always paying somebody you are owing. Because you don't know how to live within your means. You are not blessed. Are you getting my point? No, that one is not covered by it. When they say blessed are the poor, that's not what it means. He's not talking about blessed are the poor because they will not agree to wake up on time. Blessed are the poor who sits down every day insulting the country and say there are no opportunities for young people in this country. That is where I'm poor. Are you getting my point? Not knowing that people are washing cars every day and making some money. People are pumping tire. Just get it. You know this thing they use for pumping tire? Just put it beside you and be pumping tire. At the end of the day, you will earn enough money to pay house rent and eat. I can assure you of that. Do you know how many cars we have in town? There are people who are poor because they are lazy. They are the ones that the head of state saw and talked about. And they are the ones getting angry the most. <laughs> Listen to me. Those ones, they are not blessed. Who are the people who are blessed? Now, this point I'm making. They are the people that the Bible says that because they turned away from righteousness, as I was saying, they made themselves a prey. They are the ones who started a business. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, like we said last time, they're about to enter into the kingdom of business, except that this business is in Babylon. I hope you're getting my point. They're about to start, so they gather themselves and say, we will not defile ourselves by the way the men of Babylon do business. Are you getting my point? They are the ones who say, listen, if something is labeled by a wrong label, we will not sell it. Our yes will be our yes. Our no will be our no. Same people, we are going a step further. Not only, of course, I will not, of course, we are private businessmen, so nobody bribes private businessmen. Are you getting my point, really? <laughs> but we are not bribing anybody. Listen to this. If government says something is contraband, we won't sell. We will not import. We will not break any law of the land. And we are going to do this business. And we will succeed in doing it. But most importantly, it's not the money we make, it's that we stood with our principles of righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those boys if they are poor, when their mates are making millions. Why? They refuse to lie, they refuse to cheat, they refuse to break any law, they refuse to bribe anybody. They did everything according to the books. 
Listen to this. They pay full taxes. See what I said? They paid full taxes. They declared everything. If government says collect VAT, say we're going to collect VAT. Say we're told in tax, we're withhold the tax. You get my point? For all transmission to FIRS. There are times that look, they will see, turn over everything, profit at the end of the day, looks good. By the time we follow all these principles, we will not make a tenth of the money that we are making right now, that we could have made. And they will remember the vow they made at the beginning. That this is why we have come into Babylon. We will not bow to the gods that they are bowing to here. We will not eat the food that they are eating. You know what Jesus said? Blessed are those if they are poor. You know the interesting thing? Sometimes a business will fold up under them. I like what Peter Daniel said. You know what they call bankruptcy? Bankruptcy protection. Now, for where people do a lot of a credit business, for example, I start up a business, I'm manufacturing, so you're a supplier. So I collect supplies from you guys who are supplying me. I'm now in a total of, let's say, 75 million naira. But business is not doing well, so I can't pay you. The one of the things I can do, I can go for bankruptcy protection. I liquidate the company and I'm not paying you a dime. It's the law of the land. It's the law of the land. I don't know how it works in Nigeria, but I know the rest of the world. That's how it works. What that means is that once the court grants me and my company that bankruptcy protection, you can't ask for that money again. I'm owing you a total of 75 million. Kiss it bye-bye. You won't see it again. Now, the, it, the, the law is not foolish. Though. The law doesn't expect that I'm, I'm living in a house of 500 million and then I say I can't pay you 75 million. You know, that, that's not, you know, the law has this thing. But anyway, let me talk about Peter Daniels. Peter Daniels said, I think about, um, I forgot the number of times his company collapsed and he could have gone, de- declared bankruptcy and gone for bankruptcy protection. He said, I'm a child of God. The honor of God matters to me. He will close the company, negotiate with all his debtors. Over time, he will pay everybody off every dime. You know what that means? It means this company is dead. I have to look for money elsewhere to pay the people. But he always did. There's a man I met in Lagos once. I went to preach in their church. So after church, they took him to his house to go and eat lunch. So when we were talking, we just, you know, give him a gist. And said that he used to own a bank in Nigeria. And these are big men. Are you getting my point? In fact, he mentioned a particular stretch of um, Lekki Beach. You understand? And said that he sold it. I don't know whether you're getting what I'm saying. Large stretch of prime property that he was the one that sold this. You know, just talking about it. Now, he's a Christian. He said that the time banks were collapsing and he went to pray, his own bank was distressed. That the word he came from there with was that the name of God must not be put to shame. So he made a vow that nobody that deposited money with him will lose a naira. Those times banks were collapsing here and there, a lot of small banks. He owned one of, one, one of those banks, a merchant bank. So you know what he started doing? Jesus said, blessed are the poor. All the cash they had was gone. He started selling personal property. That's why he would go to Lake, he look at all the stretch of all the stretches of land he had, he would sell them off. Why? That I promised the Lord that nobody that deposited a cobble in my bank will lose it. He kept selling everything he could lay his hands on so as to pay off all his depositors. Listen, being a disciple of Jesus, eh, like I said last time, is not a joke. Why did he do what he did? He said, because I have to protect the integrity of the name 
of the Lord. That was what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the poor. He wasn't saying people are poor because they are too busy blaming the country and the society for why things are not moving. I just know that one day I'm going to go to heaven and things are going to work out right. It's the lie. God is not going to let you come in. So if you come here, you are going to spoil things. Those are not the people he's talking about. He's talking about people, and that's my challenge for you. We're talking about the culture of discipleship, how disciples behave. The name of God matters to them. Everything they do is for the name of the Lord's sake. And in that process, many of them will become poor. Many of them will lose opportunities. Please listen to me. You don't just get up like I was teaching about Lake yesterday. God has a plan. You don't just get up and decide I'm leaving one place and going to another. Why? Because the grass is greener there. Please, I beg Christians, be careful. Being a believer means that sometimes you will deliberately make a decision that naturally speaking will not pay you. And they will say, why are you doing this? He said, because I am convinced this is what the Lord wants me to do in this season. I told you the story I read in this book, God Smuggler, Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew was moving around, I think it was in Bulgaria of those days, and he met a couple. The whole village was deserted. They are one of the few people left behind because of poverty produced by communism. So most of their young men had left the country and all of that. Not only young men, people their age. After talking with this couple, they also were not rich. So let's make a long story short now. Just said to them, like, so why didn't you guys leave? Or are you going to leave too? And they turned to him and said, like, what? Who will stay behind to pray? I don't know whether you got that. The question they just asked him is, everybody has gone. If we leave too, who will stay behind to pray? I never forgot that thing. You know, when I began to understand some things and I read that again, that thing stuck with me. That why couldn't they move to West Germany at that time? You know, they were still West Germany. And be praying from there. But if there's a kind of prayer you pray, where you are praying from, it matters. You understand? Apparently, in divine planning, they were planted there to pray. They were not enjoying life. If they had moved to West Germany, things would have been better. Poverty was everywhere. You could see it. But they said, in summary, we have been planted here to pray. When the Berlin Wall came tumbling down, signaling the end of that era, when Gorbachev started Perestroika and Glasnost, which ended in the dismantling of USSR, and each country went its various way, it was not a natural thing. Listen to me, men prayed it into existence. People worked with God until such things were produced. But you see, it, there are prayers you don't pray from palaces of luxury. I don't know whether you get my point. There are prayers you don't pray from the you know, villas in West Germany. Palaces of luxury. There are prayers you only pray from the land that poverty has ravaged because of communism. So that when in your hunger you turn to God and cry to him. That's how spiritual things work. He listens. My emphasis, discipleship is not a joke. Christians are called to be disciples. Disciples endure hardship. You know, last time I said, you please read the book, um, Don't Quit the Army. Disciples endure hardship. What Jesus was talking about in that place, he was talking about these are the things people, now listen to what I want to say. These are the demands I have for my children if I am going to use them 
the way I plan to. I don't know whether you're getting my point. There are many things that we are praying. God, release anointing. Miracle working power. Are you getting my point? God said, listen, I will release miracle working power. I will release anointing to heal, heal the sick, raise the dead. But people who are praying it, first they have to stop raising money. They first have to understand that ministry is not for raising money. That if I put in their hands anointing to raise the dead, to open the eyes of the blind, are you getting my point? To heal the sick dramatically. Yeah. I can do it, it's not a problem. But if they finish a mighty miracle meeting and say, who has been blessed today? And I will say to God, I'm going to say thank you with 10 million. If they do it two times, I kill them the third time. And the way I'm seeing these people, they will do it. So lest I start killing people, let's just leave the anointing where it is not available right now. Please, what I have said is not a joke. I didn't mean any mockery by it. I meant it as a mind of God. There are many things that he wants to do. He said he will not do except the people go and start living as I told them on the Sermon on the Mount. That there have to be people that hunger and thirst for righteousness. That they will rather die in poverty than twist divine principles to make money. I hope you are getting my point here. That, listen, you know, there was a time we laughed at Christians. That preacher, as if being a preacher meant you were poor. Are you getting my point? Those days. And they said, those things have changed. My God is not a poor God. We're going to preach that gospel. Now, listen, balance is the key to life. But if I have to choose one, I think I prefer the other testimony. Paul said it. Go and check your calling. Not many were rich. Not many were big. That is, no, this one that clout is what we want to tie to ministry. I would rather not have it. Let's go back to the time where preachers were poor people. It's more honorable. Are you, are you getting my point? So, Because when you opened your mouth, people knew you were not looking for what you were going to get out of it. It embarrasses me these days. When people start forwarding preachers, raising money, you know, up, you know social media, you know, WhatsApp has made embarrassing Christians more, you know, much easier than before. Once they say, oh, you know, God said I should collect one million naira from all of you, 10, 10 million. People have videoed it and they've shared it everywhere. And they start laughing at us. Listen, so that they will not laugh at us or don't raise any money. You know, Christians sometimes they embarrass me. You go and do crusade. You know they call crusade? And be taking an offering. I can't understand the logic. I thought crusade was for unbelievers. I don't know what will reach the lost. Where did you see Jesus taking money from the lost? I don't know whether you're getting my point. Listen, there are things that Jesus is saying. These are my standards of people of God. Don't explain them away. I'm saying there is a blessing in poverty. If that poverty came because you held on to the principles of righteousness, there's a blessing in it. He said, listen, following Jesus will cause you to mourn. He said, don't worry. Are you getting my point? There is a blessing if when following the Lord Jesus means that you start crying. Like I was saying earlier, you don't, there are, you, sometimes you make decisions. This decision, naturally speaking, is not good. Opportunity comes to relocate yourself to a place where you prosper more than ever before materially. But you say, but for the sake of Christ, I will let it go. That's why I gave the example of our brother last time, who literally got a job in a bank. He had been employed, not they were thinking about employment, going for an interview. Then he read the, book, read the cover of the book, Don't Quit the Army. And do you know what he did? 
He went back to a secondary school, a mission secondary school, not a private, big private school, and continued teaching. Why? He said, this is my divine posting for now. That was what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That was what he meant. He said, now there will be amongst you those who will weep because of me. There are those who will let go, who will forego advantages. You will know people, but God will forbid you to call them when you need their help. So big employments are opening, and you know everybody. NYC is coming. Two phone calls, you can get posted to anywhere you want. But God said, leave it, leave it. I wanted to weep for one year. I was in NYC camp the other day, I was teaching them. That was last Sunday. I said, some of you, your father is very rich. God has sent you to NYC. And this is his commandment. Don't collect one cover from him until this year is over. Whatever allowance they give you, how much is it? 19,000? 19? That's 20,000 naira minus 200 now. Okay. So that 20,000 naira, you know what God said? From it, you, you know, uh, I said NCCF will collect one month. You know that? Yes, you know NCCF collects one month. Yes, couple, couple, they are encouraged to give one month allowance to the body. I said, this is God's commandment. You will give one month to NCCF. Then every month, I know you are not a title, but you will collect 2,000 naira and support something else. I said, the balance, God said, manage it for one year. I know your father, look, listen, that is not even in, your father spends more than that every day. What am I saying? Every morning. And they can send ten times that amount to you at the end of the month and say, this is your allowance. But the Lord forbids you from calling him for this year. Anytime he calls and says, how are you doing? Say, daddy, I'm fine. I hope you're eating well, like Daniel, amen. <laughs> say, we are rejoicing in the Lord. Do you have constant power? Yes. Our heart is beating 24-7. Power in the chest. Amen. You have light. The sun shines every day. You don't have to give me details. It's just in your heart. You have light. Yes. You have clean water. When I'm sick, we'll call you. Right now, I'm drinking what we have and I'm healthy. What you are saying is that, Lord, before you drive me into Egypt and put me in prison, I better caution myself. Because what happened to Joseph is what I'm telling you. The father didn't let him lack recharge card. Sent him allowance all the time. God looked and said, this is not good. This is not good. Oh, yeah, everybody. Find me some wicked, evil spirits to go and tempt the brothers. Sold him into slavery. You know the rest of the story. It was for his destiny. Blessed was Joseph when he began to mourn because he laughed later. So I told the coppers that day, I said, you have one year to mourn. One year to say enough of enjoyment in my father's house. Habba. Some people, they've never slept without air conditioner. And you want to go far in life. And you're a Nigerian. Your destiny has been frozen, you don't know. God said, for one year in YC, I'm going to send you to where there's no fan, Seth. You will sleep outside when it is hot. You and your fellow you know, coppers, put mat outside. Kill two snakes, you know. Just live a normal life, for goodness sake. <laughs> the Lord is good. Let me close my message here. I'm just emphasizing something to us. That listen, these principles of the Lord Jesus... We'll take these scriptures and apply ourselves diligently to walking in them just like Jesus said. That it gets to a point. Are you getting me? 
that you will be slapped on one cheek, you will turn the other cheek. I hope you're getting my point here. Listen to me. I'm explaining this. This is what God needs as a preparation for him to be able to do what he wants to do in our lives. Many times we are praying for special anointing for things. God said, I can't release the anointing. The people are not prepared. Except your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. That's the righteousness he's talking about. He wasn't talking about Jesus being your righteousness. He knows that. That is the power to do righteously. But he's saying that you must take that power and live practically, outwardly righteously. Then all other things can be added unto you. And I want to just say something about our country. And any country you are in, you are listening to this from. Especially if it's an African country. Now listen, African or no African, listen to this. If enough people are not doing this, we are going to be describing. This whole life of, of the disciple. If it's an African country, they will never develop. They will keep on going down. We spend Naira in Nigeria. Currently, it's about 350. When I was a child, it was 75 Kobo. Now it's what? 350. If things, if people in enough quantity don't turn around and leave the way Jesus is saying, it will become 10,000. It's a matter of time. Listen to me. You can't turn it around. It's not possible. Let me tell you something about European countries. What happened to them? If they can't gather the Christians to get up and leave, and start, do you understand? Get up, leave, and start living like true believers in a sizable quantity. I'm not sure which one will happen, but a number of things will happen for certain. One, see this Islam they fear. See, God, listen, what you call Egypt today is Arabs that took over Northern Africa. They were not living there before. The Egyptians that lived the time of Joseph, they're not Arabs. What happens is that God takes people in a land, removes them, and replaces them. See, these white Europeans will become extinct. God will take their land and replace them with a mixture of Arabs and blacks. Who will spoil the place? No, it won't continue looking nice. They will turn it to all kinds of things. A time will come. It will just be another cold Africa. It will just be a cold Arab country. That's all. Yemenis will get there too and start fighting. You know, Yemen, they've been fighting for a long time. The same thing will happen there. What I've told you is, is a matter of fact. Though. If that will not happen, only one thing will happen before then. That's another world war will break out. And the, you know, see the way we run to Europe? We will run back to different parts of this world. Because the way God designed the earth, it can't stand iniquity for a long time. That's how it's designed. After a while, the earth will start vibrating, start convulsing. It will start convulsing. It starts belching, volcanic corruptions, earthquakes, tsunamis, problems of all kinds. Another plague will break out. God granted mercy, we wiped out smallpox. Then one day, he will just drop Ebola in the center of Belgium. Then they will start running up and down. And he said, look, diseases never finish. Where diseases are manufactured, they never finish. God will give rapidly acting HIV. This one we have now, takes years to work. What I've told you always happens when people mock God for long enough. When it gets really, really angry. They're shouting at water level, sea level. One day to rise overnight by 10 meters. Drown every, you know, if the, if the, the sea rises by 10 meters overnight, 90% of the world's cities will, go, will, will disappear. I know the truth. He's done it before. I hope you understand what I'm saying. No, I'm not, I've not told you anything that he hasn't done before. Many of them he did. The world doesn't have records of them because he wiped, you know, this kind of wipe out 
the kind of wiper that there was nobody surviving to write it down. Those that survived were somewhere so far away they didn't know anything else was happening. This is the only hope for blessing for anybody. Listen, all this noise they are making in Europe, you know, I said every day they have two agendas right now. South America has joined. Argentina refused the last time because just out of allegiance to the Pope. <laughs> you know the Pope is from Argentina. So they said they wanted to legalize a, is it abortion. They refused. Sizably, that is. The Senate said no. And of course, everybody's abusing it that they are backward. The church is controlling them. They don't know that they just bought a lease of life from God. The assignment they have now is what? Legalize homosexuality, homosexual marriages and everything that has to do with sexual perversion and abortion and stuff like that. See, for every child they are born like that, look, there's a cup where their blood is being collected. When it fills up, it speaks judgment against the land. God will <laughs> wipe everybody out. It's called the worship of Molech. It's still going on. When I see people running up and down saying, I'm looking for prosperity. <laughs> listen, some of the places you are running to, have, look, no, it, no, be, no be so. Pack a running bag for running away from there. Get flotation equipment. In case the thing comes at midnight, buy an anchor to the fattest tree. No, the tree is not good. Get one very big concrete slab. Put it on the ground. Tie an anchor to it. Because one night, you will be floating. So you anchor yourself before the tsunami carries you and your family somewhere far. I'm not joking, no. I've told you many times, when I see some of these countries are shouting, God, Jesus is not the son of God, I laugh. I say, you are near the ocean and you are talking. You know, there are things... <laughs> When you want to insult God, keep away from the ocean. Like, you get my point. <laughs> you are near the ocean you are talking. You are too easy to punish. You are even on land that doesn't have a rock under. When they were building Borjal Arab, there was, you know, it doesn't have a rock foundation. They have to do some engineering ingenuity to give that building foundation. It doesn't have a rock foundation. It's sitting on long concrete piles driven into the ground, held by the friction against sand. I said, you are saying Jesus is not Lord. There are things you should do say when your land is sand and you are near the ocean. Because they don't, they don't have any powerful angels to give you the mind of God. The, the, the junior angels will use it for destruction practice. And all of you will be washed. That is, between the Atlantic and the, what's the name of that small, narrow, uh, Suez County. There's another one parallel to the Suez. Is it the, uh, the one where, maybe the one we're watching that they say, straight of Hamouds or whatever, this one running beside Iran. Or that. See, God, you know, that one, God will just push the ocean up small. Everything will join. Your land is not there again. And I said, yeah, shout who is God again. And he will say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. I said, too late, you have already drowned. What I've said is not the joke. This said, as you see, it is in danger. I don't know why people don't mourn. Why people are not afraid. Why, people, why do people admire Europe? Why? Why? Are you stupid? Why? Are you blind? What is there to admire? In a place where God said the cup is almost full, two more drops and everything tips over. And you want to sell your father's land to relocate to the place. Beautiful country. So? Sodom was beautiful until rain began to fall. Dangerous rain. Are you getting my point? When Noah was building... There had never been rain. So when they said rain will fall, they thought it was a joke. I can assure you of one thing. This earth cannot survive on godliness for long. It becomes unstable. The Lord will have no choice but to visit his indignation upon it. 
When you want to plan the future, listen to me. First, don't worry about future. Leave that one in God's hands. Just allow God to use you to redeem where you are. I hope you're getting my point. You are not in a country like this or whatever country you are in to get the most you can out of it. No. It's to plead the mercy of God by your own lifestyle with which you impart the saltiness that will preserve it there. That's what I'm preaching on. Enough of Christianity of emergency breakthrough. We're talking about the Christianity that God uses as a reason to preserve people. We're talking about the Christianity that God uses as a reason to look at the whole region like ours here and say, let there be peace over it. People sacrifice things for that reason. They lose money. They live, they live lives that are small in quotes. They could have gone big, but they said for the sake of righteousness, we keep ourselves within certain limits. We mourn. There are times that you, you, too, you can enjoy life and travel all over the place and be seeing things. Like somebody said to me, just be seeing places. You are blowing millions just to see places. Look, it's not unrighteous. Not a sin, it's your money. But there are times you say, no, all the money I have. <laughs> I know I need a critical mass of people who are living the truth of God. And what did the Bible says? How shall they hear except there is someone sent? Say, with my money, let me send the message out. So you have never seen Europe? No. Why? I'm not a preacher. What am I looking for? Ah, I'm not a missionary. I won't go and enjoy. <laughs> oh boy. That's the best thing we enjoy until destruction comes. Let's see what we can do with the money we have to preserve the land that God has kept us on. How do we preserve it? By the preaching of practice of righteousness. That's the call of disciples. Though. I've spoken enough. Let us pray. Let us pray whichever way the Holy Spirit comes, speaks to our hearts. Commit ourselves again to discipleship.